Hey, this is Ross Payton with Role Playing Public Radio, and today on RPPR, we're going to be talking to Pete Petrusha, uh, who is coming out with a new Kickstarter uh, for Chew, the role playing game. And uh, this is a game uh, that they've done some sponsored episodes of actual play that'll be up on RPP Actual Play by the time you listen to this. Uh, and I'm very interested in this because one, I like the comic series. Uh, if you're not familiar, we'll get into what the comic's about uh, in a bit. But it's also a forged in the dark system. And uh, as you may know, we just uh, have been running a Blades in the Dark campaign and seeing a very different, uh, well, a different take. Instead of heists, it's investigations. Uh, and I thought that was mechanically very interesting. Um, and there's a lot of interesting uh mechanical changes and thematic changes uh, from Blades of the Dark to uh, Chew. And so, uh, Pete, uh, I, I would like to talk to you about these. But first, introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Ross. Uh, my name is Pete Petrusha, as mentioned. Uh, I'm the creative director and owner of Imagining Games. Uh, so yeah, the newest game, it's headed to Kickstarter on October 5th. That's a well, it'll already have been in the past by the time you hear this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a foodie crime drama. We're really excited. Forge in the Dark was a really good fit. Um, it's really neat. This is the first game we've done where it's an intellectual property. So it's really fun when you get to dig into source material. Like you can go reference it and research it when you need more inspiration. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to you about it because uh, it, it's a great time. Like you mentioned, with Blades in the Dark being so hot and popular and you and the crew just coming off it with the actual plays. Mm-hmm. This will be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the I guess first we should explain the, the, the concept of the game. Um, so uh, what would your elevator pitch for to... Um, I guess as a setting first, before we can get into even the game, uh, because uh, she was a very popular comic from uh, series from Image Comics, but it's been uh, they finished its run for a while, and now there's a spinoff that uh, just came out recently. But like, if you're not into comics, you may not have even heard of it. Um, so, what is the world of Chu? Chu is a world not unlike our own. The creator likes to say it's it's always five years ago. <laughs> That's pretty recent. But uh, unlike our world, uh, the bird flu blew up in a bad way, killed over 100 million people. And uh, in the wake of that, the Food and Drug Administration became kind of like homeland security and uh, started policing poultry, which, of course, affected every living human being that isn't vegan, right? Because <laughs> ch- chicken and eggs. Uh, so it's an absurd world that's uh, reminiscent of our own. But it also has this like mutant element, like this X-Men element, where uh, it already had food powers in the world. So they're like superhuman abilities, but they're based on either cooking or eating things. So uh, leaning into the absurdity of everything, it's it's dark and gritty, but it's also lighthearted and zany. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when I had first heard of the comic, I thought it was a very, going to be a very, very dark comic series. But when, after I started reading it, I was like, oh no, it's, it's really, um, I guess Gonzo would be the way I would describe it in terms of its uh, thematic sort of like feel because yeah, there's weird murders and cults and cartels and, and, and things of that nature. But there's also just like, you know, one of the main, one of the most, uh, Popular secondary characters is El Pollo, uh, a fighting <laughs> chicken who in the comic is 
uh, a one rooster army uh, wrecking a, machine. Yeah, yeah, wrecking machine. Ball of hate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, Which it, the longer it goes, right, the more absurd because you're like, wait, it's a rooster. Wait, it's a chicken. You keep reminding yourself, there's one chicken. There's one mm-hmm. rooster that like rises to fame when they're all illegal, and none of you've never seen another one that isn't in a cage. Otherwise, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah. There's an exception made for Poyo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And some people say comic wise, it's the running joke that just keeps Mm -hmm. getting bigger and bigger because kind of what you're alluding to, the Gonzo element is like the creators just, they made sure that whatever was the coolest effing thing they could think of was like where they went, what they Mm -hmm. did. And they did it as immediate as as they felt necessary for it to feel action packed. Um, but they never pulled their punches. And that's one of the great things about this amalgamation that is true is that it is all of these genres. Like it's not just investigative. It's not no, just noir. It, it's got a ton of action. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty funny because it is so ridiculous and absurd. The world's funny. Mm-hmm. And you'll kind of see as we talk about the game and hopefully from your experience playing it, that it doesn't take that much for your characters to be inherently funny because the situations are funny. Yeah. Um and also, like, uh, when I started reading the comic and then very early on a character is uh, badly wounded and then they come back, like, an, e- an issue later uh, as a, with, a, like, a cybernetic face. Yeah, and I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, this is where this comic is going. Oh, and, uh, yeah. So um, I quite enjoyed the comic series. Um, I reread it right before I ran the game. And, yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, you chose uh, um, after you got the license. You chose the forged in the dark system uh, for this this setting, and that would not have been my immediate pick. Uh, with something sort of over the top and Gonzo, I think. I mean, my immediate inclination is to think Fate, but sure. um, you know, and then of course, or powered by the apocalypse, because I mean, you know, there's t- and forged in the dark is kind of like powered by the apocalypse, but it's it's very different uh, in a lot of key ways, like. What led you to pick? Uh, was that your decision to pick Forge in the Dark, or like? Um, um, uh, it was. It okay. was, and it was funny. Is uh, you know when I talked to John Lehman and Rob Guillory, and um, we were talking about like how this what this would look like. What was the time? Mm-hmm. You know, I pretty much assured them right from the get go. We will make a home system for this game <laughs> because you know as a game designer, like it's just usually they're not a good fit. You usually don't find something that just really encapsulates something mm-hmm. and really you know does shine and spotlight to all the key points that make something like chew uh really like sing and stand on its own and you don't want to cheapen it or any license like oh cool it's blades in the dark but like scratch the serials number off and say it's chew you know like we mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that especially if we did use something like a forge in the dark thing uh that we really also made were innovative right like mm-hmm. we, we we pushed the buck we 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 took a leap forward because my roots are totally in the indie scene and um this, you know, obviously there's arguments to be made of whether a game should be 5e or not like Hellboy. But when I see it, I just kind of like scoff and like facepalm, you know, this yeah. we could do something better. And kind of surprising to me was that uh, I didn't expect Forge in the Dark to fit as well as it did. Um, so that's kind of where we're getting towards the question you're asking. Um, some of the stuff that really worked very well was that I really liked how fiction first um, and I know that's a selling point for uh, Forge in the Dark or Blades, but especially with a, a setting that the players might know for reading the comics and something that's kind of, um, you'll see as we talk later about the approaches and other characteristics of the quirks that characters have. I love that your description can be taken into this effect conversation and 
you can touch on all of these elements and then the judge just weighs how you would be better or worse, or it'd be more risky or less risky given your unique situation. And I thought that that whole position and effect conversation was great for possibly new audiences that will bring, that will cross over from the comics that try RPGs. Uh, because when you're starting for the first time, one of the things that we do really poorly, I think, in role-playing games is teach people how to game master. Mm-hmm. So that position and effect conversation, I think, is super valuable. Yeah, um, yeah. Position and effect, I think, is um, one of the real strengths of Forge in the Dark. And uh, certainly, uh, I mean, it's, it, and it's applicable to pretty much any role playing game, like, you know, uh, because there are two different axes of, of, uh, 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 well, game design, like, you know, yeah. it's not, yeah. So, and a lot of game and so many games just really make it into one. They just sort of equate them into one thing. Like there's just yeah. one, one curve. Um, but you, there's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, X and Y. Uh, and if, so. if I can open that up a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. the comics, uh, you know, these characters, a lot of times they're the FDA and in the, this world, they're like Homeland security. So mm-hmm. they're like above the law so they can kind of get away with whatever they want to do. So, um, it's nice to have those game design, le- like levers, you know, for, mm-hmm. for desperate and risky because we really want to spotlight what the players choose to do. Because in the comics so often, I mean, literally there's so many times that the title character, Tony, is like, F this. I'm not spending three weeks investigating. I'm doing this now. And I'm just (laughs) jumping to conclusions. And we like that twist or that push to be implemented into Forge in the Dark. Um, Mm -hmm. Because anything investigative obviously has the issue of players then trying to puzzle every little bit of whatever you possibly put on the table, figure out every possible clue. It's like the perfectionist comes out of a lot of players, right? Mm -hmm. Like the completionist, I mean. Yeah. So we like that Forge in the Dark, we could then really have that (laughs) by putting it to the forefront, like let's talk about actions. Are these risk actions? And then with your playbook choices, give you abilities to amplify the reasons why you might want to do more desperate actions, why you might want to take more risks. So, and especially the flip side is having resistance and in shoe and with forge in the dark, which is a wonderful thing of having your cake and eating it too. When it comes to us getting dark and threatening your arms and your limbs and your family and stuff that like chew goes to. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. I mean, another thing that uh, Blades of the Dark does is also well, you're kind of hinting on that with like players trying to maximize, min max their their approach and get everything perfect before they try something is kind of this like uh, analysis paralysis sort of like we need to plan everything in meticulous detail before we do anything. And Blades in the Dark says, no, you just do it, and then we'll just figure out as you go. Like, of course you would have figured out how to do this. Uh, you're a skilled professional. You know how you would, of course, know. So just make your role. Just come up with something that would make sense. And yes, of course, you already planned that out. Um, but like that's for a heist uh, in the in Blades in the Dark's obviously going for the heist genre, you know, Ocean's Eleven, you know, uh, flashbacks sure. and that sort of thing. Um, but you change that to, well, the opposite of a heist, like solving a crime <laughs> rather than committing it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be those those can overlap, you know, but the uh, I, so I think that and that's one of the things um from the, the, I haven't seen that many Forge in the Dark systems, but most of them have been like, oh, it's heist, but in space, you know, like yeah. villainy. Uh, but you, you've chosen an entirely different paradigm. So um, there's some challenges that, that definitely came with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, well, yeah. what are some of the challenges? So the the big part that we learned pretty quickly was when you're adventure prepping, 
You know, because mm-hmm. one of the things that A Forge in the Dark does, or generally in uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, usually have this tenant, right? That like, don't plan, follow the players, like see where they take it. Mm-hmm. So, but the weird yeah. part with any sort of, uh, unlike a heist, where you just kind of have like this one goal, like way out in the distance. And you're like, okay, you guys figure out how you're going to get there. And we, you know, we'll, we'll help you along the way with the roles and stuff. The crime scene is a different sort of beast because in Chew or any investigative game, usually it's like kind of a slow build. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. 50% of the time you might happen on like an active crime scene, but you know, 50% of the time it's like, Hey, here's a murder scene, right? Or uh, here's a case folder about a murder scene, go check it out, figure out, you know, what to do next. Like you're just like given the task of solve this crime. And that's a very weird thing because it's a little anticlimactic um, because the, because of that, that sort of tension build starts in the beginning with like a slap in the face, but not necessarily with an immediate adversary a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically what I'm trying to say here is that we've had a lot of talks and playtesting and feeling out, trying to like figure out how best to do setting up a, a crime uh, for you to investigate or a case and then letting the player still lead the dance. But mm-hmm. then knowing that in some ways we've been prepping in two fashions, we've been prepping either real loosey goosey, which is like kind of like a one page, you know, here's the clues and then see where it takes us. But we've also kind of ba- on the back end been prepping adventures that might look a little more like a call of Cthulhu. They just mm-hmm. have a little more structure and thought based on like, if you keep pushing this back or having bad roles, we have more of a, a set out pl- idea of who done it uh, for you to fall back on. Because the real delicate balance is uh, where I'm sure we're getting to eventually too is in Chu, it's more about the quirky characters than the investigation. So while it's got this base, it's fun and engaging. It's got this delicate balance of like, I want you to be thinking about how to best role play your character, not trying to figure out at what time the murder happened by with what weapon and who was there at the time, you know, like not overthinking the actual crime itself. They need to be like the flavor of the week. So yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of inherent challenges that are there. I really liked your uh, way that you like in blades in the dark. um, The basic mechanic is uh, there. I think the, there is a a role to begin kick off a heist where you choose an approach and the, I think it's like an engagement roller. I I, I forget the exact term for it in blades in the dark. But the idea is you make a single role based on like what kind of prep work you've done uh, and how, you know, like what tier you are versus the bat versus the, the, the people you're targeting with your heist. And then that deter and all that engagement role is determines what position you're in for that first role of the heist. Yeah. So you choose like, Oh, we're going to use infiltration. Okay. Make this role. Okay. Well, your first infiltrate, your first role to infiltrate this, you know, bank, uh, is desperate cause you rolled a one. Um, so go. And so you're sneaking in at the bank now go. Um, but, uh, so you've changed that to cracking the case, I believe is the term. Uh, that is, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how does, uh, cracking the case work? It's very similar, but, uh, to set it up, there's a visual aid that we have at the table. We have this mm-hmm. thing we call the, the cork board. Um, some people like now that we get the Kickstarter coming, it's like the investigative campaign cork board. But the idea is it's basically a whiteboard with post-its. So every session or the beginning after character creation, right? There's like orange post-its that represent each of the characters because Mm -hmm. over time, they're the most important thing on our cork board. But um, we also get a pink post-it that shows what the case is. Like one of our adventures is about uh, finding the long, long man. 
So the case would say long, long man in pink. And then in that case style of play, we're looking for up to three things to narrow us down to cracking the case. So the current model as agents of the FDA, usually they're looking for a suspect, a method, and a motive. And mm -hmm. all that reflects is that as they're playing, eventually they as a group will be like, we think it was so-and-so, and we think maybe they did it because of this, and possibly they did it like this or at this time or whatever. And then they'll be able to roll a die for each of those um, conditions, those details that they found. And that, in, in effect, is the engagement role. Uh, where they crack the case and they jump to an action scene to kind of just attack whatever the the, the situation is, whether it's a, a catching catching the the people at the top of the uh, CEO, the the financial institution skyscraper as they're about to burn all the files, or if they're going <laughs> to catch the person before they like blow up the island or whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. it becomes uh, the way for us to jump to that. So unlike maybe more, uh, it, depending on how people play blades, for example. There can be quite a bit of time where before that happens, where like sometimes uh, it seems like Blades is written a little more for it to happen pretty quick, right? Yeah. Like let's yeah. cut out all that beginning BS. You have free play, but then you know after that, like jump to the case. So our we have a lot more inherent free play as people are investigating. But the mm -hmm. thing about it, like I said, is you know from playing these games, if you have one die. You, have, you still have a pretty good chance of getting a four, five, or six. Mm -hmm. So we, we do like inherently that you can crack the case as soon as you can point a finger at anybody, and you don't even have to be right. Because this isn't a game where we care about, I mean, like you said, the FDA is above the law. <laughs> like they don't even have to get the right person. They can say, oh, you know what? Uh, we're going to wrap this one up because you know I'm supposed to go on vacation, and we're going to crack it on so-and-so because that person was really annoying. And then they're going to shut it down and have some great action scene of how they bust so-and-so instead of the actual person and move on. Mm -hmm. Which we think is also fun because it uh, it plays well with the sort of work life balance of these characters and the characters being the focus, not the uh, the cases themselves necessarily. There is that difference, yeah. Blazing the Dark, the the engagement rule was really like, let's see how the 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 adventure begins, how the heist begins, and then this comes in like maybe uh, a third to two thirds into the actual like play session, depending on how yeah. quick the players go. We um, haven't seen enough of them doing it like right away, but there's, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as they could point the finger at someone. So I'm sure also as people, <laughs> well, one people are play testing, so they want to feel out the game. Right. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure in home groups or pretty soon when I get some repeat players, they'll, they'll try things like that. Like what if I crack the case right now? There's nothing stopping you. <laughs> Who do you think did it? <laughs> so it's always player initiated, basically. Yeah, uh, it is. Okay. Though, uh, I, I mean, clearly sometimes, I don't want to say coerce, but right, the Game Master often does have to be like, hey, it sounds like we're cracking the case here. Um, yeah, I think I think that's kind of what happened in my first play test, uh, because we're you know still learning the system and everything. Sure. Um, but uh, it, it worked pretty well, uh, because I used it to sort of set up like the act, now that they knew who did the crime, they now had to go and, you know, capture them, you know, go arrest them. Yeah. And so that, that set up the, the beginning of the action scene, uh, for that, uh, dramatic confrontation. Um, I know in my experience, sometimes, you know, uh, what's worse than coming in in a desperate situation. Like sometimes, you know, when they don't want to crack and they just keep pushing, they find themselves in the worst possible situation, which is kind of like, more than desperate. Like they walk in and everything's a resistance role, right? Because it's like yeah. <laughs> you just stumbled upon the bad guys who were trying to do something with no one noticing. And now they have to kill you because you're witnesses and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, knives are flying at your head, you know? So um, that's fun too. But it is, it is an interesting dilemma at times of being like, so do we have enough to crack the case? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but, and you can only get up to like three dice on that roll anyway, because once yeah. Roll, yeah. So that, that kind of limits how long players can be doing this. Like once you have all three things, you should start rolling. Cause it's not going to get any better. Well, know? and I, the, the fun part of the table is this cork board. So what's nice is we put like details, like yellow post-its, like mm-hmm. for all the kinds of random stuff that starts popping up in the game. Like, so usually when we start a one shot, each of these, you know, suspect method and motive, like your case file, uh, kind of briefs you like with one to three of like rant, you know, leads basically clues. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially with one shots, we usually try to make sure like one or two of those are BS. Like, so they're almost laughable. So the players could take them in those directions and really start making that true by like rolling, uh, you know, rolling really well and taking actions that make them the case and gathering information and using leading questions and making it like, oh, I guess teleportation was the way that so-and-so got in to <laughs> steal the chickens. But um, it's a fun way to also make it a little easier. Like I said, we're trying to ease that puzzling part. We don't mm-hmm. want players st- like, you know, oh, I don't know. I'm just really stuck on who did this and why they did it. Um, so the corkboard's nice because it's visual. They look at it. They see some BS. And as they follow the leads, they realize, oh, you know, I could really crack this case at any time. I mean, does it really matter if I really find out? I know it was that guy. That guy's really mean. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Um... I think one of the games has like a – we literally have like the stereotypical trope German – like administrator mm-hmm. and like literally usually he's put as a lead because he's a suspect just because he's German because <laughs> like, <laughs> they go to this place that's a science facility and you know it's the typical trope of like obviously that guy has to be a Nazi and he's behind everything because he's a mild-mannered you know snobby German scientist so oh of course yeah that's just that's just stands for reason <laughs> um yeah I know one thing you know you mentioned resistance roles um and one thing they're a lot easier uh, in this version of Forge in the Dark, because uh, for those who aren't familiar, in Blades of the Dark, it's sort of like a derived attribute. Uh, your resistance check is you have to fit, you have to look to see how many of your attributes in a given category equal uh, or at least one dot, and then you use that sum. So it's not like, and in this one, it's just one of your four attributes, um, and you just roll that mi- six minus whatever you roll uh, for your resistance checks. And I I I like that streamlining. Uh, cause I know that was a stumbling point for some of my blades in the dark players, just how they word it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. so we, we did that six minus your role. Cause I mm-hmm. can't even think off head of how they word it, but it's just a little like counterintuitive of how they say it. Like, yeah, no, it is. Um, but it's also, uh, sort of highlights a difference in, um, the thematic, how the thematic, uh, uh, well, the theme of the game sort of enforces some of the mechanics, um, because like in Blades of the Dark is a very dark and serious game. And in that game, your your sort of uh central resource is stress, which is used to fuel a lot of powers. It's also what you take hits to, and when you run out of stress, your character takes a trauma. Uh and you when you take too many traumas, your character is done. Uh but in Chew, your stress is well, you you do have uh, a similar mechanic, but it's a lot you can recover from, uh, you don't call them traumas, right? Uh, you have a different term. For conditions. It, right? Yeah. Conditions. Yeah. So, um, was that just because you thought, um, what, what led to that sort of revision of, uh, the, well, you call it also instead of stress, it's appetite. So yeah. what led to the differences in, for, in how you treat appetite versus how blades sure. treated stress? Sure. 
So this is a perfect segue where I need to give Justin Ford his credit because Justin mm-hmm. Ford is our lead designer on Shoe. Um, Justin is uh, generally a host of the Hacked in the Dark podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So he gets eyes on all the coolest, most innovative new happenings in Forge in the Dark. And, uh, and what's funny is that that chance meeting was literally the first episode of Hacked in the Dark. He brings up Tony Chu as they talk to him about how he made us a, a sleuth, the inspector playbook for Blades in the Dark as like an optional playbook. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy cow, I'm researching, you know, for Chu and I'm thinking about Forge in the Dark. And this guy in the very first episode mentions it. So then I reach out to Justin and Justin's open to it and he's done amazing work. And especially when it comes to like appetite here, like this is all Justin. So, um, so stress became appetite. It's kind of like your drive, your hunger for solving the case or your energy level when it comes to like dealing with all the stresses and problems that are going on in your life. Because mm-hmm. characters also have their personal trouble that they're dealing with, which I think a lot of times gives it a little bit of a Tropic Thunder-esque feel of the game, which is exactly as designed. Oh, um, yeah. And then uh, you spend appetite to either dig in, which is kind of like pushing, right, to get an extra die, or you can use uh, you can lend a hand by spending a point, or you spend it to resist, right? Like, like we mm-hmm. said, you don't know how much it's going to cost. It always works. But if you have some uh, appetite left, you can spend it to uh, resist keeping your player agency and letting us get really gory with the details of your describing it first, right? We love that. Um, but in Chew, uh, there's a handful of other things that are worth talking about here. So mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned conditions, so we'll start there. The four attributes are charm, guts, instinct, and training. They're all kind of ripped right out of all the great detective, noir, police procedural feelings, right? Like. Uh, of these are like those core criteria, but the conditions. So instead of damage, uh, instead of trauma, if you're familiar with uh, blades, um, when you are taking damage in this game, you're taking conditions. So you're taking manipulative, you're taking ruthless, you're taking cocky, and these are actually shifts on your attributes. So your charm is becoming manipulative, right? Your guts is becoming ruthless. Your instinct is becoming impulsive, and your training's making you cocky. And then when those are all eaten up you get knocked out or, or worse, right? If you're out of, mm-hmm. uh, out of appetite. When we talked about lending a hand, one of the most important things we have with Chu is we have these approaches. So like I have a character sheet in front of me and they're all fun descriptors. They're kind of like personality traits or demeanors uh, of what your character looks like to everyone else in this world. Uh, so like, for example, this character's bite size, they're a conspiracy nut and they're a dark and stormy character. So when they go to like lend a hand or when they go to dig in for an extra die, they have to bring in these approaches. They have to touch on why this is making them better in that situation. That's why they deserve better effect. Approaches are so core in the way that like pretty much every time I ask somebody, what are you going to do? Like what attribute are you going to roll? What's your action? Mm -hmm. I I bring up what are your approaches? Because it's so critical that we're always looking at them when we think about position and effect. Like this character is dark and stormy, so they're brooding character. And I'm going to always be looking at them as that brooding character for better or worse when I think of effect. And sometimes I might even be like, oh, wait, you're bite size? Yeah, you just fit through the hole. You don't need to roll. I, I forgot you were yeah. bite size. But yeah, <laughs> so we're just touching on the great stuff. Like the conditions are cool because they kind of become approaches as your attributes turn dark and twisted. Now, yep. when you're trying to be charming, you're more manipulative. And I start thinking about that with effect. Or your, your training is making you cocky and people are starting to feel you're condescending to them until you clear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like you said, the appetite, we spend it to get these extra, di- uh, 
extra, basically, effects and rolls. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the, these games have different themes. It's uh, for me, like, you know, there's the, there's always this thing about like role playing games where they say they're about one thing, but you realize as you play it, you realize it's really about another. You know, Blades of the Dark, oh, it's a game about heists. Well, after playing a camp, running a campaign of it, I realized it's more about a, a game about managing burnout at work um, <laughs> because, like, you know, the the core gameplay loop aside after you do the heist you get downtime and downtime you recover stress um and you recover stress by indulging in a vice and players that was by far and away the most uh frequent downtime activity of course is play- yeah. is players were free- uh, just you know using ghost cocaine going out uh, <laughs> stealing books uh uh do whatever it is they you know researching the occult whatever relieves stress for them and um they were frequently and during the heist everyone's like hey can you assist me can you know get can you give me die here can you give me die here uh everybody was trying to manage their burnout you know their stress load uh so they wouldn't take traumas because again nobody wanted to lose their character um and in obviously this is appetite into is a, is a similar role and I'm glad we got to play two sessions because two of my players, uh, Caleb and Aaron, were in my Blades of the Dark campaign. They they played a very similar way. They were very conservative with their appetite. Um, oh, sure. For a session. But by the second session, they kind of read the rules more closely. And they saw, oh, well, one, conditions, you you can just remove them with a downtime activity. Um, so they're not like, like traumas in Blades of the Dark are like, once you get one, that's it. Yeah. You can't, you, you're, that, that's just a part of your character now. Death nails. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's part of this kind of death spiral mechanic. But um, also, um, you, unlike in Blaze of the Dark, Blaze of the Dark um, downtime activities are set after a heist. You don't do them during a heist. Yeah. Um, and in Shu, you can use your downtime activities during free play, uh, which yep. I, I, I really made a point to emphasize, like, guys, you can... You can take a break and go, you know, <laughs> go snack on some contraband chicken wings if you want to, um, or 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 uh, uh, whatever it is you your character is into. Um, yeah, and uh, you in fact get a bonus if you bring other characters with you, mm-hmm. uh, which I really liked as well. I- I'm so glad you liked it because like this was obviously internally um, a push and pull sort of conversation we've been having, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was like should you be on shift and off shift, should you be on the clock, should you be off the clock. Because I, I really, I was like, we have this great metaphor of like, you, you just got a job to do, <laughs> and but we also want characters to be the focus. So it's important that certain characters, like a John Colby-like character, that we or D Bear, someone who gets recruited as a low life informant, becoming an agent, that they can like, you know, screw around and like blow off work and like, you know, go drink mm-hmm. a beer or eat chicken and waffles when they're supposed to be like doing FDA work. So uh, it became something I was really pushing for was I was like, Hey, I I just really think we want players to like have a sit down meal or grab a beer with their partner Mm -hmm. or, or bring in some uh, contact. That's like family, like an estranged daughter or, you know, (laughs) fear of missing out friend or is some cyber, some weird scene where you talk about how you're hanging out with your cyber rooster partner. (laughs) We wanted all of that in the game. And it's so often overlooked. And so is downtime, right? Like downtime activities are often so overlooked at most tables. They're like, all right, this is the part between sessions where we kind of advance characters. We're supposed to role play it out. But um, so all these conversations became 
let's just put it in the game. Like, let's just put it in, in the investigation phase. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because it adds this work-life balance thing that we were kind of talking about. Um, because you still only get two per character. And uh, the cases all have a day clock that's associated with them. So the right way for mm-hmm. an easy thing for the game master to do is, like, push the <laughs> push the danger clock as people are screwing around. Uh, have their bosses call and be like, what are you doing at, you know, McBeefy's right now when you're supposed to be hunting down a serial killer? Uh, but yeah, yeah, like we wanted these great scenes that a lot of times players focus on like, we got to finish the case. Well, these characters, some of them are like that and some of them it's just the job. <laughs> so we wanted to make sure we can emphasize that at the table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we play role playing games because of the story a lot of times, but it's the character moments that really become memorable. Um, You know, uh, I guess I should have mentioned, you you know, like I I didn't even say what you can do on them, right? Like you like we're saying. So, yeah, if you want to get appetite back, um, Mm -hmm. you can explain how you're taking some Mm (laughs) R&R. So you actually in the game, right? You're explaining like we get to see what it is that you do when you're just trying to chill. And then yeah. you can recover some appetite. And then if you connect with uh, someone, a direct connection on the corkboard. So it could be another player character or it could be anyone else that you now over time in the corkboard have decided you have a connection with. Whether it's a restaurant owner or some egg dealer on the side streets or you go hang out with the Kigushin assassins. <laughs> um, you go spend some time with them. And then in the role playing scene, what conditions you've worked out with them, just like you would like with your mom, dad or best friend or their spouse. Um, you can clear. So uh, it, it was just a way of like making these important, valuable, especially in critical moments in the game when players like, yeah, but I don't know. We're about to go after the collector. We should probably take some R&R and someone to be like, what? Because <laughs> you want yeah. the chemistry. You want the chemistry yeah. of the players, of course, too. So um, uh, No, that yeah, for sure. Um, and that totally reminds me of Red Markets. Is speaking, you know, <laughs> we mentioned Caleb, but I love those conversations with the the resource management of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know we only have so much gas, and I know we only have so much medicine, but I really wish we could shoot better. Yeah. And you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and mark my sheet, but I'm gonna use up some of our gas and some of our medicine, and everyone else is walking home two days later, and they're really mad at me. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Finding what one's priorities is uh, is always a, a choice character moment. Uh, yeah, and we're all yeah. bad with temptation, right? As human yep. beings, we're bad with – we're like, I really want it. And if you just mm-hmm. let it sit on the t- – down on the table, I'll be good for a while. But eventually, I'm going to eat it if I'm staring at it. So – yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the uh, you mentioned though having um, conversations, uh, long conversations about this um, to to sort of like solve the appetite stress uh, situation uh, yeah. and 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 downtime activities. Um, were there any other interesting series of conversations that sort of uh, led evolved the game? I guess in a, a way you may not have anticipated. Oh, you know. Um... <laughs> The big one, which is the big slap in the face one, was uh, originally we didn't have the four attributes. It was Mm. just approaches. So Mm -hmm. basically we were starting with the base of like you rolled your approaches instead of having your four attributes. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, cool, I have bite-sized conspiracy, not dark and stormy. And how I use those to you know describe what I'm doing as an action is what I get to roll. But uh, basically it didn't work functionally layout-wise. It was very, very hard. Um, to be like, all right, well, I guess we could give you a sheet character sheet and then a second character sheet that you cut out all of the approaches and you could tape on the ones you have because they all have, they all have a sentence, right? So you just, it became this thing where you're like, ah, but 
how are you going to get people, you know, if a character sheet is, it's funny, it's funny. Okay, you and I have played role-playing games long enough where we have plenty of days that we remember writing everything on the sheet, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's better than a piece of paper, but, like, every skill, every, you know, attribute, every whatever, you're writing all the things on the paper. Mm-hmm. But in these days, especially in the indie scene in the 2010s and 2020s, um, you know, you look at the character sheet we have now, it's very playbook, like, check a couple boxes, a lot of explainer text is on the sheet, uh, all definitions are on the sheet, the, you know, customization's there, but it's very minimal writing, right? So you can mm-hmm. get to play faster. So when we were talking about like how we'd have to have a second sheet with 130 approaches and people would have to cut them out and figure out which one, you know, I was like, all right, this is, I love it, but I hate that what that would mean for one shots and, you know, yeah. getting player adoption. So that's the first one that came comes to mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was that that was a we were really really excited about it, what that looked like until we were like functionally at the table. <laughs> Can we get anybody to actually do that? So yeah, there's always that realization. It's like, oh, this is just a little. Yeah, uh, uh, when when your ideas hit the reality of like, oh, oh no, this is not quite going to work the way it wants uh, to. Yeah. Um, and I do know some role playing games do like have more. Um, some char- some character sheets are more like blank paper, or very yeah, like unknown armies where you just make up skill names, uh, and pick a few attributes, you know, things that that skill can do. Um, but like th- those are kind of the exception. Uh, it's a little bit of the conceit of when you do adopt something like Forge in the Dark or play uh, play uh, Powered by the Apocalypse is there's a standard expectation of that family of games. So we started, you know, you start acknowledging, okay, well the playbook concept and what they look like. And this is the expectation of our player base. And what we're going to ask them is to like, you know, have a, a craft project and okay, that's kind of a, a non-starter. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no. you know, n- neighboring that we didn't talk about quirks and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, this is a, a great segue in some ways because we haven't talked about quirks till now, which is funny because we've talked about a lot of the cover of the character sheets, mm-hmm. like the front facing player facing stuff. Most games where you have like the one cool thing you can do, it's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, but as you can kind of tell here, it is very important. It's very cool, but it's so, uh, it, it, the expectations are so incorrect about your quirk in this. So your quirk is like, your could be your food power. You could be a cyborg. You could be a celebrity. It it's, is kind of like that one unique special thing that makes you different, radically different than others. Yeah, it's like you're not a superpower, but close to it. Like it's the yeah. most uh, exceptional thing about your character often. So, and yeah. you could you imagine, right, like playing a superhero game and like, oh, we haven't talked about superpowers yet. Like that's like the first thing you talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it can be an afterthought because the quirks of the character um, – are like the unique thing they can do, but they're sometimes so overly specific <laughs> and absurd that they're they're not something you can really abuse. Mm-hmm. So we we did have a lot of conversations also about what should quirks look like because there was times where you spent appetite for some, some required a certain downtime activity to use, some you know you had to like fail an action roll or take a desperate action, and then we came back to looking at masks in Powered by the Apocalypse, which has been a, a big inspiration, and saying like, hey, what about let's try the other way in playtesting and let's let them just use them. And since we have position and effect, just consider them in effect and position. Like if you can fly and it's a chase scene jumping skyscraper to skyscraper or rooftop to rooftop, well, clearly you're not in 
a tense enough situation to even roll, like you just fly from one roof to the other, where other people might have a risky roll or something for falling off until we're shooting you. And if there's gunfire, well, now maybe it's risky for the flyer, but it's desperate for the others. And we realize that this is great because we're letting the fiction uh, and the narrative and players do whatever the coolest thing they want to do is uh, happen without limiting the powers that sometimes already were limiting. So yeah, yeah. Here's a couple examples just because if people are listening for the first time, like, so maybe you can craft sweets into functional machinery. That clearly is awesome. But like, it didn't say you do it fast. <laughs> it's like, cool. You can make, you can make like a lollipop tank, but it might take you a week. <laughs> so, okay. Um, right. You can cook memories into your meals. This is so amazing for like a murder mystery or something like where you're like, okay, well, we're going to have dinner. We're going to reveal. And I'm the person who I've learned what really happened when everyone eats. I'm going to let everyone know who at the table is the killer. But that's a very specific, unique situation you got to build to. Um, you can write about food so accurately people can actually taste it. Right? So these are things that aren't always like I can fly. I can run at the speed of light. Um, even the ones where it's like I can get smarter. It's like, okay, you can get smarter the more you eat and as long as you keep eating. <laughs> well, right. you don't you don't have like a iron gut. <laughs> you know, you you will gain weight, you'll get lethargic, you'll f- pass out, you'll puke, you'll vomit, you know, so it's got natural real world consequences. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, um when I was running the game, I viewed them like I really do like this approach of uh, using quirks kind of as a just a, entirely a role-playing descriptor of what your character can do because then I, I viewed it as sort of like a key to unlock certain actions that would be otherwise impossible so like i thought i would hate it yeah i really i really thought i really? would hate it yeah okay um but for me it's like if a character is a cyborg it's like okay well you're a cyborg so you can hack the door without a computer because you have your brain has a computer in it so yeah that's fine you still have to make the same role but you can just you know it's like having like trying to pick a lock if you don't have lock picks it's the same thing you need yeah it's a tool that get, lets you do something that, that you wouldn't otherwise it doesn't let you automatically succeed um i think part of this is because uh every pretty much everything in chew is really thematically uh linked uh i mean well not everything like cyborgs are cyborgs but like all the quote-unquote superpowers are all food based so you have to come up with something that like uh is you know food based and uh that that makes it a lot more interesting a lot less like oh i'm just superman i'm a kryptonian i can fly and have laser beams and do all this other cool shit uh like yeah there's nothing like that in the setting so um yeah it might and not the, work the yeah. coolest one right is the cybopath right which is the title mm-hmm. character where like they see the origins and the history of everything that they eat mm-hmm. um except for one unique food but really what we find that's really neat is just if you have one in your group with this method of play, it just creates a very different experience of what that investigation, how you follow and pursue it, uh, and how you craft where it goes. Um, it's just like if two people are playing the same module, right? Like they'll have a completely different route of where they mm-hmm. went and how they got to the bottom of it. But it doesn't change. It didn't. It didn't make one game better than the other. They were just two different experiences. So that's kind of been the neat thing with the quirks is just seeing that. And I like that they also give players more options, more opportunities to have like mm-hmm. great effect, which kind of helps that sort of pulpy conversation sometimes, like you were mentioning, where fate's really good at pulp. Like, you know, how did how did a uh, short round survive the Temple of Doom? You know, mm-hmm. he's a kid. He's all these people, all these full adult, you know, soldiers or whatever uh, die. But, you know, the 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 short, the 
I probably the 10 year old kid or whatever survives all the horrors. Yeah. Um, what's nice is these powers can give people great effect at a lot of the things in their wheelhouse, which helps with that comic feel instead of it being so mundane. Right. Sometimes. And the players like uh, for the RPPR games were just like, okay, well, the fact I did have a player, uh, Aaron, who's like, I can craft sweets into functional machinery. Um, uh, Creo, uh, Sakura, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I believe is the, is the name. It's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the names are hard. <laughs> yeah, the names are. Yeah, they're like a very like Latin based kind of like, which is part of the fun. Um, but it was like, okay, I'm just gonna. Uh, can I make a trap to ambush the suspect with uh, my my uh, laffy taffy and stuff? It's like, okay, make a roll for it, and <laughs> and that was fine. It's also the so some players may not like the fact that you have special cool mechanics for every quirk, but. Um, as a GM, it was also really useful because then I could make up new quirks for NPCs and then yep. I didn't have to come up with any, uh, mechanics for it. It's like, uh, this guy, his thing lets him do this. And that's, that's just it. He could, you, you gotta deal with it. Um, like I had, <laughs> um, potential spoiler, um, like one of the NPCs, uh, actually I had quite a few, uh, NPCs. Um, one of them had the ability, I made up some new ones and one of them was like Sibo, I, I called it Sibo and Dari, which was anything this person cooked, uh, became a hardened blunt weapon. Um, <laughs> so you could like take this spaghetti and beat someone to death with it. Um, I love and, because, you know, there's yeah. literally family members who were like, this person's the worst cook ever. And it was yeah. their food power. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing is that her one, her son had uh, the food power to eat blunt objects as food. <laughs> so he was the one person who could eat the food. No problem. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was it. So like when the players had to fight somebody, uh, you, you know, if they had to deal with somebody who is wielding one of these weapons, so, well, it's just a dangerous weapon. Like I didn't have to come up with special mechanics and roll yep. for it or do anything like that. Um, we so had, like corn yeah. dog, two hand taffy, nunchucks and just all kinds mm-hmm. of wacky stuff because you basically have a license to go wherever you need to go, right? Mm-hmm. Like we had a guy who like had a a belt with little loops that had sushi rolls in it. And, and like, depending on the meat content of the sushi roll, he could like summon like that animal. <laughs> so it's like, you could throw the sushi roll and it's like, it's a tuna roll. But then you have this guy running down the street, like throwing tuna and like marlin and you know crabs at people and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just, you know, going past the game mechanics, just like the theme of Chew, which is really, um, about how food affects us, uh, in, in a large way. Um, and food is something pretty much everyone can relate to in some way. Yeah. Everybody has different tastes. Everybody has a different personal different connections <laughs> and emotional history. Like there's a lot in food culture and like, there's so much about food out there that there's easy to dig down and, and figure out some way to make it weirder than it already is. And, uh, I mean, that was my, uh, uh experience as, as sort oh, yeah. of not, um, so like for, for, for Sounds me, perfect. What, yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't listened to the actual play yet, I, um, over the last year I have been moderately obsessed with food YouTube. And so I made a scenario, uh, about food YouTubers and these aren't just like cooks. <laughs> these are also like competitive eaters and, and chuggers. A chugger <laughs> is just someone who drinks something really fast and like that's it and there's a whole category it's a whole genre of videos um and so there's so much weird gonzo food stuff on youtube i need to write uh, that down like yeah. i don't have enough chuggers in shoe <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's chuggers um uh 
there's there's all kinds of weird shit out there and <laughs> there's fast food reviewers like lots of fast food reviewers and there's like some of them review them in their cars some of them like there's one food uh, uh reviewer who looks like he's from uh Innsmouth uh he- <laughs> He like wears a suit with a tie every time he's reviewing some like McDonald's uh, uh, value meal. I mean, it's just bizarre. So it's easy to grab those. I'm like, oh yeah, th- those are clearly your murder suspects right there. Um, and, and like you mentioned, I, I, that's mm-hmm. that was the goal, right? Is even on the the, the really pretty fancy character sheets, there's mm-hmm. that fifth quirk for everyone, which is just custom, right? Because yeah. like we totally encourage like. It, what's your favorite food? Mashed potatoes. Okay, I love mashed potatoes. What would you like to do with those? All right, mm-hmm. and f- because people have attachment to food, like yeah. we can just let people go there. And I'm so glad you said the NPC thing because I usually have never been able to relate to anybody with that, right? Because I'm the only one running <laughs> the games, you know, or me and Justin and you know, a mm-hmm. Mitch and the team. So when you say that, I'm like, yes, totally. Yeah, it's so great that you can just be like, well. Uh, giving random powers that just happen to fit at the time and apply as, you know, cause we're never reaching for like Superman status stuff. We're just right. making weird, fun twists. And it's an interesting play because unlike most games, there's not a frame of reference of what all the food powers are. So right. it does throw the players for a loop and add a whole level of like supernatural, uh, like mysticism that like people aren't used to. Cause they're like, okay, well I, I really have no idea if this is a food power or not. Guess what? It can be. There's nothing yeah. saying it can't be. Um, as long as it's, you know, not like, yeah. oh, when I eat a hot dog, I, I'm, I'm omnipotent or something. As long as it's not something dumb like that, like, yeah. you're fine. So, like, uh, don't, yeah, don't try to min-max this game. But, um. yeah. And if they got to know, there are rules. Like, that, they, they mm-hmm. make a gather information role, and they can check with the FDA database. And if it's successful, I guess mm-hmm. they did have this power registered, and they did know that this exists, and this is the food power that it was, yeah. you know? So, if they need yeah. that, you can find it. Cool. Um, so for uh, this Kickstarter, like what kind of, um, aside from the core book, uh, yeah. do you have like any other books that you're planning to fund or are those going to be any stretch goals or sure. do you have anything else you want to uh, mention about it? Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, there's two books. Um, unlike um, other Forge in the Dark games or Blades in the Dark, right? Like these games usually don't have a lot of setting to work with. Um, Blades having the most of all of them. Um, so we're looking at two books that are about the same size of Blades, but we have a whole 60 issue comic world, right? That we're calling mm-hmm. the Chewniverse. <laughs> so uh, the, there will be a second book, which is basically that. Like the first book will be a core book. It, for the most part, deals with the agents of the FDA, the USDA, and NASA. Um, they have that, you know, crime investigation feel of the core mm-hmm. gameplay. Um, it'll have, you know, some factions and it'll have some of the setting and so on, just like you would imagine with like a Blades book. Um, but for the people who then are maybe more traditional or just want more or love the world, uh, we have a second book, which will, one, give you so much more of the setting, all of the factions, a ton more food powers, but it'll open up different methods of playing. Um, like, for example, if you want to be like the Kigushin assassins who are like martial arts hitmen, like we can then switch this, uh, I was going to say dichotomy. I don't know if that's the right term for it. But what's neat is we have this sort of rotary idea of like what the mission focus could be. That pink posted on the corkboard can change to not be a case, but could be a crime or a heist, or a mark, and then the three details you have to find in the game could just rotate to what makes sense, whether it's like, what's this mark, the hit, right, the the target, it's the target, the their routine, and maybe what the method is, again, of like how you're going to get them, 
you know? So mm-hmm. we're really excited about how you could play the characters from the criminal underworld uh, and the mercenaries and so on and so on. So well, all I'm trying to say is the universe is awesome because it's going to expand all this great stuff, more cyber pets and, you know, <laughs> I can go on and on. Yep. But so there's two books. There'll be a deluxe version with holographic covers um, and a mm-hmm. slipcase. Uh, that's the one way you can get Poyo on the cover. <laughs> Both <laughs> books will have covers from Rob Guillory that are unique and special from the original two artists. Uh, we'll have the one for the core book in the Kickstarter. The second one will come after, <laughs> assuming everything goes well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we got we have FDA badge pins. We got Poyo pins. We got the investigative cork board, which is a quad fold board that's dry erase. Um, so oh, it's great for post-its, okay. yeah, yeah. but you could also use your marker to like make the lines and stuff if you want. And it's, we ripped the corkboard right out of the comics. So it's pretty cool. Uh, oh, oh my God, Ross. Um, the, we have <laughs> mother cluckers is the chicken fast food brand. It's like the KFC in the books. Mm-hmm. So we have a bucket of chicken dice. So <laughs> there, it's a little dice cup that looks like yeah. a chicken bucket and it's going to have six, uh, six sided dice that have chicken legs on them. I mean, you know, yes, no. not too long ago, Arby's <laughs> did a thing where they released a dice set. So, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah fast food dice uh, uh, <laughs> themed uh, accessories are uh, definitely going to attract some attention. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, there's just so much great stuff. And then, yeah, there's uh-huh. so there's there's that deluxe. There's going to be like the you know, uh, I think it's the combo meal we're calling it right now, which is kind of like getting everything. And mm-hmm. then there's the deluxe version if you want to get everything, but with the special books and and then you know a couple high end things are like. We're going to do a fun game where, like, Mason Savoy, uh, he's, like, the wronged character. He's the FDA agent mentor in the beginning. But mm-hmm. one of these people tracking down a conspiracy, um, you'll get a, a basically the equivalent of a phone call, but you'll get a recorded message. And then we're going to play a game <laughs> to see uh, if there's if we let more than one person, we might feed them information that if they coordinate, there's a grand conspiracy they can put together. So, yeah, there's going to be some really <laughs> neat stuff that we're hoping uh, we're hoping people are willing to play, you know? So, yeah. Uh, no, it sounds a lot of fun. Um, so cool. That, uh, should be already up. Uh, it goes until by the time you listen to this, um, and it should go until November 4th. Yeah. November 4th, 10 PM. 10 PM. Okay. Um, well, keep an eye out for that and, uh, thank you all for listening and, uh, thank you, Pete, for, uh, telling us a bit about you and, uh, we'll, uh, talk to you next time. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for running the game. Like, it's, it's so amazing for me. So I, no, I really, it, really appreciate it. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, a bl- a f- it w- it's a really interesting take on the Forge in the Dark system. And uh, we all had fun uh, getting to play FDA uh, investigators <laughs> f- dealing with murder at food YouTube com. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Uh, and so, yeah, check that out on RPPR Actual Play. Um, and we'll have part two up uh, of that game this month. So, um, yeah, it's a two-parter. It's not just a one-shot. So, because uh, I wanted to try some of the camp, <laughs> I want to try some of the campaign stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, cool. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>